Welcome to the Love Your Truth podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jen Chrisman, and for over a decade, I have been a licensed clinical psychologist, life coach, and on my own journey of personal and spiritual development. Each week, I'm going to be bringing you an inspiring guest or a thought that will help you move beyond fear and doubt to unlock your true potential because you know there is something inside of you that you want to express and a kind of life that you want to create. We're going to be talking about personal development, wellness, spirituality, and entrepreneurship. You'll get a blend of practical and spiritual advice as well as tangible actions you can apply to your life today. Are you ready? Let's get on to this week's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Love Your Truth podcast. And in today's episode, again, I'm so excited to share this one with you. The person that I brought on for this episode is one of my most favorite people, and he is actually my personal business coach. His name is Jake Valentine, and I am beyond excited to share this episode with you guys because Jake is an amazing human being, and I was drawn to Jake the second I I talked to him for the first time. He and I sat down, we had a conversation, and you can just feel his authenticity and the in. And the way that he shows up is so genuine. And, you know, we are in a world right now of business and marketing and social media. And there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of uh, messaging and a lot of um, lacking in authenticity um, of what people are putting out there, the content and the messages that they're putting out there. And why I was really drawn to Jake was because he fit my personal style uh, of showing up authentically. And, you know, I'm at the point in my life and my career that I'm really not going to do anything that doesn't feel like it is true and in alignment for me. And sometimes that means going against the grain of what is um, expected and traditional in the way of marketing. And Jake has really been there to help support me and lift me up in this process as I continue to build and grow my business in a way that's um, not filled with a lot of noise and maybe not even filled with a lot of hype around it, but really just genuinely showing up. And so I learn so much from Jake. I'm so incredibly grateful that I have the opportunity to work with him one-on-one on a weekly basis. And, you know, I get so much out of those meetings and meetings. And so I'm so excited to give you the opportunity to experience a little bit of what I do. And, you know, again, I'm doing this work all the time on myself. And part of the reason why I started this podcast in the first place was in order to just share the incredible conversations and the awesome experiences that I have in my life because I have these moments all of the time where something really cool happens and this really inspiring conversation. And I think to myself, gosh, like everybody needs to have access to this. And so sitting down with Jake, we talk about his story. We talk about how he got to the point of where he is. We also talk about really practical business advice. And even if you're not an entrepreneur, even if you are not running your own business, there will be value in the messages that Jake shares because his whole platform is about becoming a leader. And I think, you know, this is relevant for all of us because we all have an opportunity to show up as a leader in some capacity in our life. Maybe it's not necessarily in our business, but Perhaps it's in our family or in our community, in our school, wherever we are in our life, where can we show up as a leader? So 
take a listen to this episode. Enjoy it as much as I did. Please, I I really value so much and appreciate when you reach out, when you give feedback, when you leave a comment and a review on iTunes. That means the world to me. Shout us out. Let us know what you think. And of course, if you listen to this and you hear anything that you think someone else would benefit from, please share the love and enjoy this episode. Um, so I'm really excited to have you on. And like I said, I, I don't have any agenda for what we're going to talk about or where we're going to go, but I am excited for you to just share more of yourself. I, I was really drawn to you the moment we had that first conversation and you have brought so much into, into my life already in the time that we've been working together. So um, if you don't mind sharing with people who are listening, who maybe don't know who you are, a little bit about the work that you're doing and, um, and how you got to that point. Jen, that was so awesome because I, like halfway through it, I realized that we had started. I thought you were telling me what was going on. So that was perfect. I love that this is a real conversation and not a scripted thing. Um, so tell about how I got started. As in every story, there oftentimes are, it, it weaves and goes through all sorts of different incarnations of how it comes about. So my story at the very beginning was while I was in college, I wanted to be a professional musician. That was what I, I wanted to do. That's what I did do. I actually dropped out of college and played music for a couple of years. And that was my profession, um, play guitar and sing and, and played really all over the Western United States. And for me, music was always about it being a tool to promote a positive message. I'd always loved, you know, I performed music since I was a little kid, started playing guitar around 14, but I'd always been singing before then, but just, it came natural to me and I loved doing it, but I was never like, music was never about being a rock star to me. That, that had nothing to do with it. It was always about promoting a positive message and using this amazing tool to connect with people. I came up with a problem when I decided I wanted to make a living doing it. And the problem that that arose was at least at the time, you know, now hindsight being 2020, I know I could have done things differently, but at the time, the way that I was making a living doing that was basically entertaining drunk people. That, that was really it. And I didn't feel like that was meeting my goal of making a difference with this, you know, sharing a positive message with this music because Mostly I was playing cover songs and drunk guys were yelling, play Freebird. And that was not what I wanted. And so I decided, okay, this has been fun. This has been a fun run. I got further than most of my friends. I, I've, I've toured all over the place. I've um, you know, really made a living doing it. I've had some incredible experiences, but I'm going to hang it up and it's just going to be a hobby. I go back to school and at that time, I decided I switched my major and I started studying psychology. I got my degree in psychology and uh, I was going to go on and get a master's in counseling and go that path. And uh, while doing that, I had this kind of just weird idea of what if I mixed music and motivational speaking and went to high schools and I had no idea that it was going to turn into a career, like just no idea whatsoever. Um, I just wanted to do this as something to give back. I wanted to do something that was going to be good and that was going to be fun and something I was going to enjoy. And so I started doing it, like I said, not knowing that it was going to be a career. And I discovered first and foremost that I loved it, that I had an amazing time doing it. It was like it connected all the things I cared about and uh, into one thing. But also I learned that there was a business behind it, that there were people who were going into schools that were going to youth leadership conferences, and there was this whole business around speaking. And to some that might sound crazy, but I didn't know that that was a thing. I, I thought that the only way you could be a, a paid speaker is if you had a Super Bowl ring or a gold medal or something like that. I didn't know just a regular guy could. And so once I figured that out, I just dove in head first. I dove in head first. I still finished my degree, but I did not even end up applying for any master's programs. And I went all in on that. And I, I just put 
every bit of effort that I had into it. And I kind of was the kind of, uh, you know, build the, what, what's the saying about, about you putting your parachute? Oh. No, no, no. About the parachute on your way down. Like, uh-huh. uh, you know, putting together your parachute mm-hmm. on the way down. Mm-hmm. Um, I really just jumped in mm-hmm. all the way and I put every bit of effort that I could into it. I, I hired a coach and a mentor who knew what they were doing. And within a year, it became my full-time income. And, you know, to, to speed up the story, I went five years where all I was doing was going, was flying around the country, going to high schools, middle schools, youth leadership conferences, and uh, inspiring kids and empowering kids to make a difference in their schools and in their communities and using this tool to connect with people. And, um, you know, I ended up being hired at, uh, being hired to go and speak in 43 states across the country, um, been to over 400 schools nationwide, and had an incredible time doing that. Now, there's a whole next incarnation of the story of what happened afterwards, but so this doesn't become a monologue, I'm going to pause there so you, you could say whatever you wanted to say at that point. But that, that was the beginning of my story and how it started was I just wanted to make a living sharing a positive message using that tool of music, and that's kind of how it all started. So I am really curious because you mentioned that when you started music around 14 years old, you, the passion that you had for it was not necessarily to be the rock star, but to share positivity and inspire others. And I'm really curious about what you know about that part of you, because it's not very often that you find a 14 year old who has that depth and capacity to look outside of themselves. And I say that with so much love for children, but you know, they tend to be very egocentric. They tend to be, you know, just naturally and developmentally. Um, and so I'm curious, like, what do you, again, like, just what do you know about your upbringing, about your personality, about your dynamic, that, that part of you that was so connected to others at such a young age? It's really interesting that you bring that up because honestly, I I haven't ever been asked that question. I've never been asked that question like that. And I can think of a couple things. One was that um, even as a a child, I idolized my grandfather who was a psychiatrist. Um, This was kind of back when psychiatry actually did therapy also and not Mm -hmm. just wrote, wrote scripts. And he just had such an, he had an incredible presence, very different from me because he was not the extrovert that I am. He was much more of a uh, quiet kind of peaceful strength, you know, that quiet strength that we've talked about. That was my grandfather. Um, He didn't need to say a lot. He listened a whole lot more than he said, but when he spoke, it was something really powerful. And just in our community, there were so many people who were touched by him because of the positivity that he brought to the world. And when I say world, it wasn't like a worldwide thing, but in our community, um, people knew that Dr. Schofield made a huge impact on people. And that was a big part of it. I know that that was a big part of it because he was a, just a figure that I looked up to. Um, If I'm really putting on my psychology hat and say like, where did this really come from? A lot of it did come from the situation where as a kid, school was not a strength for me. School was very hard. School was very challenging for me. I was considered learning disabled. I was uh, in the special education program. Uh, I didn't read a book cover to cover until I was 19 was the first time I ever read a book cover to cover. I, you know, putting the story forward, I was kicked out of school, kicked out of college. um, My first try at college, going back to college was a huge deal for me because I, um, never thought I could do it. I just didn't think I was smart enough. But when, when looking at what I did as a kid, the things that I thrived in um, were things that I got praise for because I really was terrible at school. School was something where I just barely squeaked by. And, and even there, I remember one year I said, I'm going to really try. I'm going to really try. And I went from getting, I, I put all of my effort into it and I went from getting, you know, C minuses to C pluses. And, you know, it doesn't take a genius to say, well, that really didn't have much of an impact that really didn't do much there. And where did I get praise? 
And where did I find value from? It was a couple different places. One was I was naturally inclined with music and I, I had praise there. So of course I put more effort into it. I am naturally gifted with my hand-eye coordination. I have incredible hand-eye coordination. Like, and so I was a great baseball player growing up and you know, I played baseball. I was a captain of my baseball team in high school. And after I got into playing with real, real professional prospects, I realized that I wasn't of the caliber of someone who could become a professional athlete. I just had an incredible hand-eye coordination and a great work ethic. And but at the time, as a high school baseball player, as a amateur baseball player, I was really good at it. So I got praise there. And the other place that I got praise consistently was for just being a kind, nice person who put other people first. And so if, if I'm, like I said, if I'm putting my psychology hat on, really where it came from is I got praise there. I had, I had role models, my, my parents gave me a lot of praise there. I'm the youngest child and a lot of youngest children are the peacemaker. They are the ones who do that. And so it just, it just was a part of my personality. Also another thing to be completely honest, if I'm looking at it, it's just, it's a part of my superpower. It, it really is. It's just come naturally. My mom told me that when I was two years old, I had split my head open. Like I I'd got, had this injury where I split my head open and we were at the emergency room. I was going, we were going to get stitches. And so I'm sitting, you know, bleeding, all this kind of stuff. And there's people there who are injured and sick and look miserable. I must've been closer to three because I'm thinking about my two-year-old and I don't think he would have had the same kind. I don't think cognitively he was there yet. So I must've been closer to three, but I, um, apparently I started going around to all the people who look sick and I was trying to cheer them up and I was talking to them and I, I started singing to them and I start, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, it's funny cause you go 30 years later and it's still, that is what I do. Like when I talk to people, like in reality, like, yeah, I've learned a lot of things and I can tell people what to do and share like, Hey, do this and do that. And here's some things. But in reality, I'm, I'm a professional cheerleader is what I really do. That's what I really do is I'm a professional cheerleader and I help people get through their, get through their challenges and believe that they can do things and keep them going and keep them going. And so a part of it is just, this is my superpower. This is who I am. And then through great parenting and, and great role models, um, I was given praise for those things. And my parents, yeah, they wanted me to do better in school, but they did not they were not the kind of parents who were like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing? I was not seen as a failure because I wasn't doing well in school. I was seen as a, as a success because I was helping people and because I was making a difference. And because of the couple things that I was good at, I was, I was encouraged to keep doing those things. So I don't know that's a long answer to get into it, but that's what I think. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, you mentioned the great parenting um, that, and that they didn't focus on where you were not succeeding and they didn't, you didn't, you weren't seen through a lens of being a failure, but was there ever a point in your journey where you struggled with your relationship to school and your performance in school? Oh yeah. You did. I thought I was totally stupid. I, I, that was a limiting belief that to, to be, totally transparent with you. That's a limiting belief that still comes up from time to time because of that traditional, the traditional background of, I did not do well in school. I was never very good at school. And because of that, you know, kid, like you said, many kids, that's not their natural inclination to be helping other people. So I'm not saying that I'm some victim and I had anything that other kids didn't have, but it was talked about often in school with other kids in school telling me that I was dumb and telling me that I was stupid and telling me because, you know, I, I used to, in, in fact, so I've always been great at talking. Communicating has been something I've always been very good at and I can make people laugh and I can do. So seriously, when, when it, when we're reading, like doing the kind of snake thing where you're reading back and forth, who's reading in school, when it was coming close to my time, there were times when, so there was a couple kids in class where let's say one class, I knew that I was safe and I could be fine. But another class, I knew that I would be laughed at and I'd be ridiculed. And I, I would just start making the class laugh and I get kicked out of class before it became my turn to read. 
And now looking back, I'm like, how did an adult not see that? Like, how did they not see what was going on? Because I would see that, you know, with all the work I've done with youth, I've, you know, I can see where that's coming from. That's besides the point. I don't hold anyone accountable for any of those things. Like I said, everyone's felt those things, but absolutely. I felt like I, I felt like I couldn't do anything um, intellectual, like, and, and honestly, that's a part of it too, because I, I attached my value to the things that I was good at. I was good at lifting other people up and I, I received value for that. You know, I look, you know, being, like I said, I was in the special education program, which meant I had IEPs, which meant I sat in with, and, and there's, there's so much argument, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, because there's something that messes with a kid when you're sitting in a room in a boardroom style with your parents, with the, the principal and with all of your teachers. And they're openly talking about what your labels and problems are while you're sitting there, like you're not there. And I know they're all there to help. And now looking back, I know that they were there to help and that's what was going on. But you know, on those IEPs, there were things that said, you know, the, the report said things like, Oh, Jake's a, Jake's a great guy. And he's a really nice kid and he's really helpful, but he's just, not good at this and can't do this and doesn't have, and I'd see things like, uh, you know, people writing things about what they think my potential is and which now looking back, I go that that's completely ridiculous that, that they would say that in front of, in front of really like at the time you think you're so grown up when you're 16, but you're still a child at that Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And, um, no, that stuff had a huge effect on me. I, like I said, I was kicked out of school uh, when I went to college. And then it wasn't until I had a great mentor in my life who basically told me that everything that you've heard about yourself is total BS and that you are incredibly smart. And you're incredibly talented and intelligent. And maybe it looks a little bit different. Maybe it's not set up that way. But now you know, his, his advice was, look, I don't even care about school. Like it's not about school. Cause I decided I'm never going back there again, but he says, it's not about school. I don't even care about that, but I want you to conquer this. I want you to conquer this dragon that that's sitting on you and that that's facing you. And so he challenged me to go back to school and do whatever it took, see the tutors, get any bit of extra help that I could so that I could graduate from college and prove to myself that I could do something that I never thought that I could. And I went back to college and my GPA does not show this because my GPA shows my first try at college all connected. But when I went back to school that second time and I made a real commitment and this was one of the best lessons in life I ever had was making a true commitment to do something I thought was impossible. Um, I ended up that second try at college at a 3.8 GPA, which is something I'd never seen before. And that was huge for me. And I'm still, it's one of my most proud accomplishments that I was able to do that. And where do you think the, the willingness to believe this mentor came from? Because I think that for a lot of people that are holding on to those limiting beliefs, um, you know, I always kind of um, think about it the, like that, and we talk about this too, right? The difference between that intellectual knowing, like I know that I'm worth something, I know that I'm good enough, but the discrepancy between actually embodying and holding the belief and carrying the belief. And so maybe you can share a little bit about what that process was like for you to, to make that, to hear your mentor and yeah. to, to take what your mentor was saying and actually internalize it into something that you could believe. This one's a little bit hard. And one of the things that I, I have talked to so many teenagers about is, and while I was doing that, and just for everyone listening, that's not really, I still go to schools on occasion, but that's not what I'm doing in my, my career anymore. Um, but when I was, this was always a central part of my message was, here was this one mentor who made a difference in my life. But just because I started listening to, you know, I, this one connected to me at the age of 21, um, that doesn't mean that there weren't people who were trying before. 
And I was just blocked off to them. I wasn't listening to them because there was plenty of them. You know, my parents were saying similar things. I had certain teachers who were saying certain. In fact, I've reached out to some of them, you know, as an adult and said, hey, I know what you said at the time didn't really get through to me, but it doesn't mean that I didn't hear it. And and this is what's happened since then. And um, so what what it was, I don't know. It was just right time, right place, and right connection where I, for whatever reason, I listened and I was, I was ready to listen. And mm-hmm. so I know that's not that satisfying of an answer, but it was the right time. And I, I was ready. Mm-hmm. I was ready to, to listen at that point. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I think that makes so much sense. I, I talk about this a lot in the work that I do with my clients um, who have, um, like there's an anticipation, there's an anxiety about getting to a feeling place, getting like working through something. And I always say to them that you can't force a feeling. The feeling will come when this time is right, that when you're open and you're receptive, you can't force yourself to feel anything um, as far as the healing goes. And part of it is just having that patience and knowing and trusting the process that that when the time is right and all of the seeds are, have been planted, the growth happens. Totally. And another thing too, you know, I don't, I don't talk about my, uh, I don't talk about my religious beliefs very often in a, in a open place because I, I feel like a lot of times it, um, I feel like a lot of times it, it shuts doors where people kind of stop listening, you know, religion and politics, all of a sudden people don't, listen to what someone's saying afterwards, but I feel like it's kind of essential to this part of the story. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, I was a missionary for my church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was a Mormon missionary guy on a bike, you know, those guys that you see, that was me at that time. And, um, And the person who was this mentor, he was the guy who was in charge of all of the missionaries in our in this particular area, I was in the Seattle area and I was living there for two years and this is what I was doing. And I think a part of it was I had evidence that I was smart and that I was intelligent and that I was doing something great because all of a sudden I went from a situation in school where the book smarts were what was making you thrive to where now we're in a situation where all these people who probably got straight A's, they can't form a sentence talking to a new person. And that's something that's just always come natural to me. I've been able to communicate and all of a sudden I'm someone who is doing very well at what we're doing. And I became a leader in that, in that organization there, there was 200 of us who were, you know, in this particular, it's all separated into different regions. And he was in charge of us, you know, 200, 19, 20 and 21 year olds. And so I was put into a position where he selected me as, you know, the right hand guy to him. So there was him. And then there was the the first person who was one of the, you know, the peer group who was in charge was me. And I was put into that situation as a 20 year old. And all of a sudden I was put into this leadership position because of things that were natural to me. And what he was pointing out to me is like, look, this is ridiculous for you to feel like you're not smart when, yeah, you struggled at this, but I picked you out of this crowd because of the things that come natural to you. And these aren't weaknesses. These are strengths of yours. And I was able to see that in, in a new, when I was put into a new situation. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think that we, we hear things like right time, right place. And I think we emphasize the time more than the place. Mm-hmm. And maybe we should em- emphasize the place more. Sometimes what we need to do is to get out of the current situation we're in. And all of a sudden you can go from, being the person who is not adept at what you're doing, who's not uh, built for that to going into a different situation where all of a sudden you're just, this is for you. You know, it's that, that Einstein saying that if you, you judge a fish by its ability to fly or something climate like tree. that. Yeah. Yeah. Climate tree. Yeah. Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But um, point is, is I put myself in a different situation where all of a sudden I was thriving. Mm-hmm. And so I think his words meant a lot more to me because when I was in school and they were saying, no, you really are smart. And then it was like another C, another D, another F, another, you know, like over and over and over again. I, I just didn't have that, that evidence. And I think sometimes that 
competence is what brings confidence. And so I started to believe this person because I was in a situation where I was thriving, not because, yes, I worked hard. I think that people work hard at things that they're good at naturally, because there's that, there's that cycle of, um, you know, they're, they're getting, they're getting praise for what they're doing. So you keep working and keep working. But at the end of the day, I was good at what I was doing because I'm me. That's it. Like it was because it was my strengths. I showed up good at this. You know, when, when you do that, you're assigned a trainer and like, I was much more comfortable talking to people than my, my trainer was not because I'd been there for, I not because I've been doing it just because I was me. That's naturally who you were. Yeah. So you then went on to spend the next few years traveling the country, speaking at hundreds of schools. And then at some point you made a pivot. And can you share a little bit about what that pivot was and how that pivot happened? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it had to do with lifestyle. I think we have to look at not just the impact that we want to have, not just the money we want to make, but we also have to look at the lifestyle that we want to have. And as my wife and I were getting more serious about having a child, I just realized that the lifestyle, the kind of father I wanted to be was not the kind of father who was on an airplane every five days. Um, that's not what I wanted to be. I didn't want to be gone all the time. And in the youth market, it's not like you're making the kind of, like I'm, I made fine money doing it because I was, there's a lot of volume. When the youth market, the money's made in volume, not in, not in individual um, speaking engagements. It's, it's really a volume game. And so I just realized that, hey, if I'm going to keep making the money that I'm making and wanting to, to improve, I, I can't the lifestyle doesn't match. The lifestyle doesn't match. And, and to some people might be turned off by that, what I just said, but I think it's so important for people to think about what is the lifestyle that they want. And so for a while I started thinking like, okay, what am I going to do? You look like you want to say something. I, I'm curious. Why do you think that some people would be turned off by that? Cause some people are turned off by the idea that you would do anything for the sake of yourself, for the sake of your for the sake of money, for the mm-hmm. sake of, I want something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we live in a world where it's like people downplay um, or people villainize when people are making decisions based on what's best for them. And I think it's crazy. I that- well, I mean, the name of this podcast is Love Your Truth. And you know, that's, that's the platform. And the, the goal is to help people connect more deeply and honor what is yeah. true for them. So, Well, and I think if you do that, if you honor what is true for you, you're going to be able to give so much more to others. Mm-hmm. Like it is so much more. Um, but anyway, so it, honestly, it was a really hard decision to make because I built up this whole business. I built up these clientele. I've built up, you know, I got to the point to where I wasn't doing a lot of marketing anymore. I wasn't doing, it was pretty easy at that point because I built it up for years and my phone rang. I got emails in. It just, happened. But I didn't want to be gone all the time. I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to be, I wanted to be the kind of father who was going to be home, but I still wanted to make that kind of impact. And what's interesting too, I, I, I said the whole reason I got into this was because of music. Passions change and I still love music. I do it for fun. It's something I, I enjoy, but my passion shifted into personal development. And that's where I started really um, finding my passion. And as much as I loved working with youth and if, if any school calls me, which still happens on a regular basis, because I built up such a network, I'll still go. I still enjoy doing it. It's something I really love. Um, but at the same time, I started growing this desire to one, be able to be home more, but, but two, have a deeper impact with people who are at a similar level, you know, people who are adults. And I realized at the beginning, when I started this, I didn't think I had anything special to say to an adult. And then as I really got into things, and when I started, you know, first couple times, I did some corporate engagements, I spoke at some seminars, I started doing that kind of thing. And I realized, oh my goodness, adults are the same thing as the 15 year old version of them. They have the same the same things holding them back, the fear of judgment, the fear of what if, the fe- you know, all those kind of things. At the end of the day, almost everyone, when they show up somewhere they've never been before, they act very similar to that kid who's at the new school for the first time deciding where they're going to sit at lunch. 
and they have the same feelings, the same whatever. So anyway, all that gave me the confidence to go forward and start working with adults. And from that point, I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to shift it. I'm going to change it. And at the beginning of that, I started launching, you know, I launched my coaching business. I wrote a book called Your Number One Goal. I built a coaching business around that. And as I was doing it, the, the funny thing that happened was people just kept asking me, how are you making a living doing what you're doing? How are you making a living sharing a positive message? How are you doing this? And at first, to be honest with you, I was kind of resistant to it. I was resistant to doing that, to making that my profession. One, because I didn't, I didn't like the idea of being like, so wait, you're, you're, you're coaching coaches so that they can be coaches and then coach like that whole thing. Like it kind of, I, I had some resistance to it at the beginning and you're, you're speaking to speakers so that they can become speak. Yeah. That, that whole thing. I, I had resistance to it at the beginning, but a couple of things happened. One, I got over my pride and said, that's ridiculous. There's people who want your help. There's people who want your help from you. So go and give them the help that they're looking for. But also on top of that, um, I just realized that this was something important. These were people who wanted, they wanted to make a difference and they were lost and they didn't know what to do. And I'd gained a lot of knowledge because I'm an avid student. Here's what's ridiculous about this whole smart thing. I, I never put two and two together until recently, but I was actually the only kid in my school who was in both the special education program for kids who were struggling and I was also in the gifted classes as well because I, you know, I'm not trying to brag or whatever, but like my, my IQ is literally at a genius level from all those tests and things like that. And, but yet I never, I never listened to that. I never thought of that. I just thought about the negative side. But anyway, I, I realized, no, I do have something to offer. And the most important thing that I have to offer is getting people to actually do things. And like what I said about being a cheerleader, mm -hmm. I can take all this information that I've learned and that other people learn. But at the end of the day, what I'm helping people do is actually take action so that they can create so they can live the mission that they want to live so they can create the lifestyle they want to have so they can have the impact that they want to have so that they can go out and make a positive difference in the world. And so over the last couple of years, my main focus has been with building the speakers, authors and coaches network, which is a free online community and then doing our seminars, doing our events, doing the coaching programs on the back end. And it has been out of everything that I've done, it's been the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my whole professional career. Because as much as I loved getting up on stage and moving an audience, like it is cool to feel the experience of 500 teenagers standing and chanting your name. Like that's fun. That, that I can't like, if you could bottle that, like you, if you could bottle that feeling, I mean, that would be incredible. But in terms of long-term fulfillment, I've never had more fulfillment in my professional career than having the feeling of I'm helping people on an ongoing basis actually live the things that at one point they said were their absolute dreams. That has been something that has been such an incredible experience. So anyway, I'm going to continue to evolve forever. Like it's always going to evolve. It's always going to change. But that's, that's the story of how this has all happened. Yeah. And I'm curious, you, you said something in there that stood out to me and I'm hoping you can expand on it a little bit. Um, but in that transition, when you, you shifted from doing all of the speaking engagements into building a coaching business and writing the book, um, you had that set up and then the coaching business shifted into coaching more coaches and speaking yes. to speakers and you said that you resisted that for a minute um, and you had to, to get your pride out of the way. Uh -huh. And I'm hoping that you can expand a little bit on what do you mean by that? What was the pride that was coming up that was getting in the way? And what was the coaching platform and the messaging of your coaching business before you took on the speakers, coaches uh -huh. and authors network? So that's a couple questions there. So yeah. I'll start at the beginning about the whole pride thing. Um, pride works looking up and looking down. Pride works both places. Somebody who is 
let's just say oftentimes when we look at pride, we talk about people who are wealthy and we say that they could be prideful. But a poor person looking up at a, at a wealthy person can be just as prideful uh, as the opposite way. And what pride is about is, is about, it's not about you, it's about judging others. And you're never satisfied. Pride is never satisfied because there's always someone better. And even if you are doing amazing, if, if you learn, if you're doing amazing and everyone else is doing less than you, you're going to be happy. But then as soon as you meet someone else who's doing more, even though you're at the same level, you're now going to be disappointed because pride is what you're focused on. And I believe that sometimes pride, when we're focused on pride, when we're not getting the results that we want, we, um, we want to find excuses. And subconsciously, I, I would see anyone who was more successful than me. In fact, there was a time where I made a decision. It's been one of the best decisions I made. Uh, and it was, I don't judge people who are more successful than me. It doesn't mean I have to agree with everything that they say. It doesn't mean I have to model what I do after them. But if there's someone who's more successful than me, I'm not going to focus on the things I don't like about them. I'm going to learn from them and say, look, well, they're obviously doing something right. So what can I learn from them? Because so often I'd see people more successful than me and I'd make an excuse as to why I was not there. Now, my coaching business was going well so that it was all based on my book, Your Number One Goal. I had just lost 60 pounds and I had this experience where I realized like, hey, I built a business on my own. I built a business on my own. I graduated from college, which I never thought was possible. And I then now had this transformational experience of losing 60 pounds. Those were three things that were giant life-changing things for me and, and things that some people would say like, oh my goodness, these are incredible things. And I realized what was common about them was they were all goals that I dedicated to and made them, made them happen. And just, I have, I have a drive that I think is one of my other natural gifts where I'm just able to be driven to do something. And so I wrote the book focused on what, what's the difference between people who succeed and people who don't, what, what, technical things are different. What's different about the way that they're thinking? What's the process? What's those kind of things? And, you know, if I'm totally transparent about it, like the coaching business was going well, but it wasn't growing as fast as I wanted it to grow. It wasn't doing those things. And I'd look at people who are more successful and I'd say, well, of course they're more successful. They're coaching coaches about being coaches. So, and that was my excuse was they're doing this and that's why they're more successful. Now what I've learned that has nothing to do with it. They're just doing a lot of things right. But in my mind, I'd make excuses for people who are more successful. And I wore as a badge of honor that I was doing something more pure. And it's mm -hmm. so stupid. Mm -hmm. But that's what was going on in my head. Meanwhile, I realized that for the most part, all of my paying clients who were coming to me were people who that's what they wanted. They wanted to know, okay, look, like it's cool that you've done this and it's cool that you've done that, but I want to make a, I want to make a living making a difference too. You've done that. How can I do that? And that's where people were coming to me for. That's what they wanted. That's what the market was telling me. And then finally, I just had to say like, Jake, you're being ridiculous. You need to let go of this pride and go one, do what the market's telling you to do. But also too, this is what you have studied. This is what you've spent the last decade of your life focusing on and you've learned a whole heck of a lot about it. And so I just decided at that point to drop the pride because the pride was the thing that was holding me back and dive all into it. And so you have, how long ago was that? Two years. Okay. So in two years, you've grown this community to yeah. upwards of what, 5,000 people in your Facebook group. Yeah, 5,000 in the Facebook group. We have another 5,000. It's not the same people. Another 5,000 on the email list. I know some are some are the same, but you know, so we're, we're talking all together around 10,000 people. Um, and to some, that's not a huge list, but it's a very active and engaged community. Mm -hmm. And it's all happened organically. You know, mm -hmm. it's interesting is I spent so much time on ads and kind of throwing money down a toilet and not that ads aren't a good thing. In fact, now it's, that's a big push for me in, in this year is building that whole system, but everything I've built, um, has been just organically happening 
And it's, it's been built because I've done everything from a place of service. As soon as I made that decision that I, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to stop anymore. I'm going to actually do this. I just said, okay, I'm going to give more than anyone else is giving. You know, I'm going to give more for free than anyone else is giving for free. And I'm going to do that. And I just had this belief that that was going to pay off. And did it pay off overnight? No. But two years later, it's incredible how much it's paid off. Mm -hmm. And when you made that decision, did were you... Like, I'm just curious about this process. Um, were you, did you have like financial goals that you knew you wanted to hit? And did you have like, cause obviously like, you know, you wrote a book on goals and yeah. how to reach your goals. And so how did you, how did you hold both being goal driven and service oriented? Were they yeah. ever in conflict with each other? Well, like, how, how did that work for you? They, they were in conflict at the beginning. And, and I'd kind of learned that over time, you know, through things. But what, here's what I realized. My, I'm actually going to rewrite this book mm. because there's so much good in it. And there's also a lot that I don't even agree with anymore. Um, and the biggest thing is, excuse me, the biggest thing is deciding or being clear on two things. What is your long-term vision and what are your short-term needs? Mm. And nothing else matters. Every goal in between now and my short-term, those are only to help me stay on track. That's it. And so letting go of the need for success short-term, the best way to succeed long-term is to be able to sacrifice the short-term. Now, we all have needs. We have we have life. And so I'm not the guy who says burn the ships and, and forget about everything because I think it's irresponsible to not pay your bills. Uh, I think it's a bad idea if you have children and you just decided that you're going to quit your job when you don't even have a viable product. Now I'm, I'm also a supporter of taking a leap of faith when the time's right, but you got to make sure that you have a product first to sell and you got to make sure that people want to buy it. You got to do that. You got to get to the point to where you go, okay, the only thing holding me back is time. And now I need just to put the time in and do it. Um, I forgot the question. Oh, uh, about it, conflict. Conf yeah. Between yeah, yeah, yeah. and service. So, so what I realized was, is that the very best thing that I could do, in fact, the most selfless thing that I could do for my long-term goals was to be, uh, sorry, the most selfish thing that I could do for my long-term goals was to be selfless short-term. And I started, you know, you and I both have a psychology background. And for me, I started really thinking about the psychology of people's decisions the psychology about what they want. And I started looking at the market more and more today. And there's so much sales going on. And me being someone who was consuming so much, I started getting so tired of it. And I started seeing everyone going in this one direction. And I realized, wait a second, I think other people are feeling the same way I am. I think other people are also going on webinars and saying, well, this obviously isn't, this obviously isn't, uh, live. And this obviously, when they say that the doors are shutting tonight at midnight, and yet I could go and apply, I can go and, and sign up for the same thing tomorrow. I just realized that all of this inauthentic BS was no longer working. I, I didn't think it was working. At least that was my belief. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to come at this different. I'm going to come at this different than what the majority are doing. And I was able to connect these two things and say, you know what, for my long-term goals, um, I need to be selfless and actually sacrifice the short-term and just say, I'm going to give and give and give. And something really interesting happened when I did that. Um, the short-term goals actually happened as well uh, mm -hmm. and, and pretty effortlessly. They, I, just, I just started focusing on caring about them because people make decisions based on who they like and who they trust, who they get to know. And I just realized that all the sales training that I had ever done, all of the business courses I had ever done, for the most part, uh, 
I don't want to say they were worthless, but I, I just, they, they weren't authentic to me. And maybe mm-hmm. that's why they weren't working, but they weren't working because I, they weren't authentic to me. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that letting go of that need, I need this, I need this, letting go of that was the best decision, the best business decision that I ever could have made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, you know, we've talked about this before a bunch, but I resonate so, so much with that, um, you know, the authentic marketing and, and service oriented business that, um, you know, there's so much noise out there right now with online businesses and coaches and everybody selling something. And it's hard to kind of weed through um, like what is just the the trendy launch, you know, formula for today versus what's actually an honest yeah. uh, connection with someone. And so I so appreciate that perspective. And I'm hoping that you can also um, talk just a little bit about the, you mentioned that you built this community organically. And, you know, for anyone who's listening, who might also be trying to create a business, develop a following, um, putting something out into the world. What are, what are some suggestions? What are, what do you think is the, the most important um, aspect of creating that community organically? The absolute most important one. You, you mentioned this earlier when I was trying to quote something else, but the, if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. Um, the absolute most important number one above anything else is to whether your community at the beginning has 50 people or 500 people or 5,000 people, you're going to treat it like it already is a thriving community. Mm -hmm. And if you treat it that way, then when people come in, there's something already there for them. I hear it many times. Well, I'll start sending more emails out when I have the people I'll start, you know, posting content when I have, but it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You have to start at the beginning, treating those people as if they were your most important clients. And at the beginning of this, when, you know, I started with about 50 people in, in that specific group, I like using the word community because it, it's about any platform. It's about, it's not about a Facebook group. That's a tool that I chose to use, but it's just about building community, building something bigger than you. But I decided at the beginning to treat that like it was 5,000 already, like it is now, to treat it the same way, take it, treat it with that kind of seriousness. Because then when you bring people in, there's something there for them. Mm-hmm. And those, you know, if, if you like to think, okay, with 50 people, if you like to think that um, the average Facebook user, especially the people we're talking about who are, uh, you know, wanting to do these kinds of things, you know, average person at this point has right around, let's just use easy math and say a thousand friends. And if they have a thousand friends, you now have a second degree connection to 50,000 people. And so that, you know, talking about organically, nothing helps you more than people saying, Hey, you need to be a part of this. You mm-hmm. need to be a part of this. Cause what matters more if I say, Hey, what I'm doing is really cool. Or if somebody else says, what he's doing is really cool. People are going to want to join it there. So that that's number one. You need to have, have your home base set up as something that is meaningful, something that, that matters. Growth will come just from that. Um, then the second thing is getting seen um, by more people in more ways. And that can be through really two different ways. One is what you are doing, going out, meeting people in person, meeting people online, but not meeting people in the way that most people do it, where it's, hey, come join my thing. Hey, come join my thing. It's just building real relationships. How do you do this? By being a real human and building real relationships with people, going out and meeting people, not going to events and talking to people and looking like, oh, I'm going to look around for someone more important. All of us have been in that situation where you're trying to look eye to eye to the person you're talking to. And meanwhile, they're looking around, literally looking for someone more important than you. Go and make other people the hero. If you want to be remembered at an event, try this. Try to hold off talking about what you do as long as you possibly can and keep asking them about them. They are going to leave thinking that you are the coolest person in the world. You're going to leave thinking that they're going to leave thinking that you're the most important person there because you talked about their favorite subject, which is them. That Mm -hmm. is their favorite subject. Um, I was talking with my brother recently 
he went to this conference. We were talking about this idea about what to do at conferences. And so he's a, he's a filmmaker, professional videographer, and, um, you know, kind of a networking event conference. And he goes to this event before he said, I'm going to try an experiment. I'm not going to talk about myself at all unless they really want to hear from me, but I'm just going to talk about them. And he said, by the end of this two day conference, he was like the most popular guy in the room. And when people are, you know, kind of at the end, you know, the, the speakers and stuff like that, they're talking about him from stage. They're talking about what he does right? because he focused on other people. So let's be selfless. And I've said this many times to people, but I truly believe that in business being selfless is the most selfish thing you can do mm-hmm. when you're trying to get, you really don't. And then the, the next thing is finding other people who have your people, people who are, whether it's people or organizations who already have your people and build relationships with those people so you can make strategic partnerships. Those can come out in many ways. They can be joint ventures. They can be podcast interviews. They can be um, them promoting your work. They can be any of those things, but go and build real relationships with them and try to create win-win situations. Cause that that first channel I talked about, about going out one-on-one, that's great. You can bring one person at a time, but if you may build a connection with one person who can get you in front of thousands, now that can really take off, but it happens with relationships. Since I have a very thriving, active community, I get people daily, usually two to three a day of people asking me to um, somehow promote their stuff. Most of the people I don't ever respond to because that's the first message that's ever came from them. And all they talked about is how great they are and how important what they're doing is and how much it's going to help me. Yeah. And I don't care. Yeah. I don't, I don't care. But if somebody builds a real relationship with me, even if they don't even have much to offer, if they build a real relationship with me and I believe that they're going to grow and I go, okay, I, I yeah. If they build a re- real relationship with me, I'm going to help them mm-hmm. because I like helping people. Um, I'm not going to help someone who just, that's the first thing they did. You need to build relationships with people. I talk about this all of the time with the therapists that I mentor and that I coach because one of the like number one, I mean, it's so old school, but the, like what every therapist is told to do when they start a private practice is to send a mailer out with business cards saying, hey, I just opened my private practice. This is my name and these are the clients I serve. I'm you know, happy to take referrals. And 100% of the time it goes in the trash or the email gets deleted. And I'm not going to respond to that because like you said, like when you've never, you know, you've never, it's the first contact you've ever had with me. I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. But if someone says like, hey, you know, they send me an email and they're like, I love what you're doing. I'd love to hear more about the work that you're doing. Would you like to get coffee? Sure. Happy yeah. to do it. Yeah, exactly. Like sometimes when people say things like that, like, hey, I just want to connect with you and uh, see if we can, yeah, I, I'm open to referrals. I'm like, why would I refer you to someone? Like why on earth? And, and I get that too, especially whenever I tell this story about, hey, I'm not really in the youth market anymore, but I still get people contacting me. I always get people reaching out to me and saying, hey, you can, uh, you can send me your people. Like you can totally. And it's like, no, I, I send if I can't do something, which, you know, like I said, I still do a lot of them, but I send them to other people too. And guess what? I have five people who have been dear friends of mine that I share it with. All five of those people though, we built relationships with each other before any of us mattered. Mm-hmm. Like there's one friend of mine in particular, his name is Joe Fingerhut. Uh, he's really killing it in the youth market. He's really doing amazing there. But him and I, for years, just shared gigs back and forth. I'd do a gig and then I'd tell him all about it. And I'd say, this is the person, this is what they paid me, this is what they care about. I'm gonna introduce you to them so you can do it next year. And then he did the same thing and we went back and forth and doing it. And why did I do that? Because we became friends before either of us mattered and when there was other people in the same room at this, this conference that we met each other at, when there's people in the same room who are looking around for more important people Both of us had the mindset of we're here to build real relationships with people. So, so um, along those lines really quickly, 
What would you say to someone who is just starting out and maybe has a limiting belief, just even based on this piece of the conversation that we just had, that they can't tap into something because it's already built or, you know, that because they're new, they, they won't be able to get in. It's a, you know, the exclusivity that can sometimes um, happen. So like, what would you say to someone who might be thinking that right now hearing this? Um, So first of all, there, there's that old saying of the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. And the next best time is today. And that, that is a, there is a part of it where I don't want to say a limiting belief is true, but there is a little bit of truth to what was said there. Mm-hmm. And so you got to start this process, but start looking at it with what can I offer someone? What can I, what can I give to someone? What can I offer to someone who's above me? Maybe I don't have people to, maybe I'm not at the level to where we can share audiences cause I don't have much of an audience, but does that person have, you know, I, I think a lot in, in this business world that we're in with, with authors and speakers and coaches, like, are they coming up, are, are they releasing a new book? And if they're releasing a new book, can you volunteer to be a part of their promotional team? Can you give them your hours? Can you go in and say, hey, what can I do for you? Like, what, what can I do? Um, so look at what you can do for them before what they can do for you. And if you go in with that attitude, you're going to see incredible things. Uh, I actually just did a training about this this past week um, in the mastermind, but the, we, we made three lists and the top list was like dream people to partner with who are 10 people that are your dream to partner with. You're probably not going to be able to partner with them right away. That, that might take years, that might take serendipity, that might take whatever, but that's, your, that's to get you thinking. You got that list of those people. Those people might be putting on events that maybe you just want to be at and you can meet other people there and things like that. Then make a list of 10, the second list of people that I'd consider micro-influencers. They're people who are still having, they still have a big impact on people, but they're not famous yet. They don't have household names. They don't they're, they're probably going to actually see the email that you send because Tony Robbins is not going to see my email. It doesn't matter what I say. Someone else is reading it. I'm going to see my email. Like mm-hmm. I would put myself in that level of a micro influencer. So you're looking at, so top is your dream team. Number two, make a list of that, that um, micro influencers. And then three, this is one that's totally neglected all the time. Make a list of 10 people who are at the same level as you or just one above. Mm-hmm. And so at the beginning, maybe you're going to just do like a Facebook live with each other and that's going to get you 10 more people each, but who cares? It's 10 more people and you're going to mm-hmm. build and you're going to grow. So if you work on those three lists and then from there also think, how can I connect with these people? How can I help them? And how can I create win-wins? Mm-hmm. And if you go at it with that attitude, rather than what can I get from it, you're going to get a whole lot more. Yeah. And I, I love, I mean, you just demonstrated so perfectly how, like what a natural cheerleader you are and how just excited you got that. Like, let's say it's, you get 10 people. That's awesome. It's 10 people. <laughs> and I just, I love that, you know, you bring that energy to, um, I know you bring it to every conversation that we have and I'm, and I'm so grateful for those conversations. And I'm curious as because I'm aware of the time and as we, as we wind this down, you have this incredible community that you're continuing to nurture and grow. And you also have your um, smaller mastermind group where you do one-on-one coaching and the masterminding, which is you know, what, I'm, what I'm a part of. What, what else is happening? What's next for you? What can we expect? What, what, what are you growing through right now? Um. That's, that's a, that's a great question. Um, my, my long-term vision, there's, there's a few pieces of it. And I think sometimes we, we look down on, we, we hear so much. Yeah. I have read essentialism. Hey, I wrote a book called your number one goal. And I, I think we should focus on one goal at a time, not one goal in a lifetime. And so what I'm creating one with the speakers, authors and coaches network, my vision for it is to, to make it, turn it into the number one resource of free content for message-driven entrepreneurs worldwide. That that's my that's my vision for that. But then along with that, you know, I'm I'm 
building, you know, building and growing this mastermind, building and growing my live events and my vision. You know, I just saw Tony Robbins in a, a room with 15,000 people. Hey, that might take me 20 years to be at that point, but that that's where I'm going, where the principles that I teach right now, they're very specific to individuals who have a very specific goal. Um, but what I really want to do is help, help human beings to believe in themselves enough to realize that they are better than they think they are and they can do more than they think they can. And I don't care. Notice that doesn't say that you can be an amazing superstar at everything. I just want to help people have improvement day after day, just to be better than they were yesterday. And I feel like that's my mission. That's my purpose on this earth is to help people get to that place and get to that level. And so for me, there's no end to this growth. What I'm doing now, that's, that's what I'm doing now. And it's always going to be a part of what I'm doing, but it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. And the events that I'm putting on are going to grow. The personal development brand that I'm putting on is going to grow, but really it's about at the end of the day, it's helping individual people, whatever goal their, their goal is, is to help them to do more than they did yesterday. And that's what I want. Yeah, I love that. And as we wind down, I really just want to take a second to acknowledge and to honor that work that you do because it really is so heartfelt and so authentic. And, you know, every single time I walk away from a conversation with you, I just have this this warmth that, that comes over me. And you are, you know, what you're doing is so special and it's so felt and I am thankful for it and grateful and just want to recognize and honor you for that and say thank you. Thank you so much, Jen. Yeah. Yeah. Been an absolute pleasure and it's always so good to hear that um, because I really do put my heart and soul into what I do. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Love Your Truth podcast. I am really just so happy that you stopped by and I would at this point just love to ask for your help in spreading the message and maybe sharing this episode with someone that you think would love it or benefit from it. And also if you could head over to iTunes, if you feel so moved to do so and leave an honest comment and review for us that would really help me out with this journey to helping thousands and thousands of people and until next time please don't forget to love your truth thanks guys